Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amuse. I'm Stani. And I am Sadie, and this is our bonus episode for the month where we have a bit of a feminist art book club going on here which by the way my collection i have this beautiful little library now of just books about feminism and art and i'm i'm very thrilled with it so if you've been following along with the books that we've been doing you too could have this amazing collection (laughs) you could really fun too because it's very diverse Mm -hmm. like we have everything from like musical theater and horror films to then like fangirls and early music the riot girl movement and then ones like today where we're talking about women in visual arts and painting so really cool i I know i love it (laughs) i love our range i feel like we've done a good job here but i will introduce the book that we're doing today so it is by helen gorrell and it's women can't paint gender the glass ceiling and values in contemporary art and yes. I feel like I don't know. I mean, I know the basics of what happened, but Stani, do you want to explain what happened that inspired the concept of this book? I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> so it all started with this artist named George Baselitz. What a guy. <laughs> yeah. He's a German painter and he's still alive today. He was born in 1938 and he's done mainly painting some sculpture and then a little bit of like more graphic art. But he sat down for an interview with The Observer in 2013. And I I love the intro that they actually put with the interview. It's so funny. They said, here's a doozy of an interview with the painter George Baselitz, courtesy of De Spiegel, which I think is the German magazine who originally did the interview. I don't know exactly who originally did the interview, but I know that it went viral and it's everywhere. And the main article that it showed up on was The Observer. Who knew he was so curmudgeonly and really insulting? And then they have a photo of him and it says, George Baselitz, he probably hates you. (laughs) (laughs) That is art. (laughs) Yeah, so what happens, they start out the interview obviously just talking about his art career and what's going on, and he's kind of complaining about how nobody will come and see modern-day art shows because they'd rather go to, like, the old masters, you know, Mm -hmm. view historical art, and just talks about some art museums that he doesn't love (laughs) and how much he hates them. Uh, (laughs) And then, so you can tell he's just a very optimistic man. And then he starts talking about, like, how he just wants to be young and belong to the art market. That's always what he's wanted. And they say always the market only embraces a few women. There are hardly any women among the most expensive artists. And he goes, oh, women simply don't pass the test. What test? The market test, the value test. What's that supposed to mean? Women don't paint very well. It's a fact. 
There are, of course, exceptions. Agnes Martin, or from the past, Paula Modernson Becker. I feel happy whenever I see one of her paintings. Oh. But she is no Picasso, no Magdalini, no Gogwin. So women supposedly don't paint very well? Not supposedly. And that despite the fact that they constitute the majority of students in art academies. <laughs> and so he basically just goes on and says, like, women can't paint. It's a fact. I mean, wow, he was so generous to at least call out two women artists he mildly enjoyed. <laughs> what a yep. guy. And then later on, because of course now every time he gets interviewed, they're like, hey, so you once said this, like, you want to elaborate or like go back on that <laughs> Like, at all? please, like we're giving you a chance here, man. <laughs> like, take it. <laughs> yep. And he, he says again, like the market doesn't lie, even though painting classes and art academies are more than 90% made up of women. It's a fact that very few of them succeed. It's nothing to do with education or chances or male gallery owners. It's to do with something else. And it's not my job to answer why it's so. Okay. It doesn't apply to painting either, but also music. Nice. Why? <laughs> oh, I I didn't know he said anything about music. Now I have a personal bone to pick with this man. <laughs> yep. What does it matter so much? If women are ambitious enough to succeed, they can do so. Thank you very much. But up until now, they have failed to prove that they want to. Normally, women sell themselves well, but not as painters. What a stand-up individual. Yes. So obviously, anyone reading that would be like, what? What are you talking about, sir? And that's exactly what Helen Grill thought as she read his interview and it inspired this book. Well, which I love is you open up the very beginning of the book before even the contents. The very first mm -hmm. page is it has the quote, women don't paint very well. It's a fact. George Baselitz, 2013. Yep. And that is how <laughs> the book starts, which is just <laughs> brilliant. So funny. But yeah, it's so it's not a very big book, I would say, but there's a lot of content. I was going like, to say, but it's not necessarily a light read. It feels no. very textbook. And I don't mean that as like a slander of the book. I mean, like it's very thick in its content. It's very well researched as well. And like this, this woman came with the fact. Yeah, like honestly, you could do a podcast episode on each paragraph. Honestly, each, yeah, each <laughs> chapter, each subheading within the chapters, like, yes, it's, it's thick. It's thick with information for sure. Absolutely. One of the things I absolutely love that she does is she interviewed people mm -hmm. and has excerpts of the interviews throughout the entire book, which is so nice because then she's like, you know, reaching out to people who are in the career who are a part of the profession mm -hmm. and asking their opinion on this idea you know what i thought was concept. so interesting about that though is she points out a couple times in the book just like the fact that so many people like you would associate the art world with very liberal forward-thinking ideas right and she acknowledges that but then also acknowledges the fact that there's still like these institutionalized issues with women just not getting the recognition that they deserve and what I thought was so interesting is a lot of the people that she interviewed they didn't want to give their actual names because they were so worried about how it could affect their reputation and so I think if anything shows how much this is still an issue is that there are so many like very famous paintings that like 
even still when I feel like culturally you are generally accepted for speaking out right about feminism and women's rights like that is something that I feel like is in general like it's no longer as frowned upon as it was 50 years ago, yeah. right? But in these art communities, like this book is not that old. And these people were scared to come forward and say, yes, like I put my stamp of approval on this. Like, no, they they wanted to be anonymous, which I think is crazy. Yeah, I think it goes back to, we kind of mentioned it in an mm-hmm. earlier episode, how people love to like push the idea now that like feminism's over. Like it yeah. finished, it did everything it we needed to do. We have nothing else to do. Like we've accomplished it. And I think like, obviously people still push back but against that and are like, no, there's still things happening. But for the most part, like I think people get tired of issues and they don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. Like racism and sexism. Like they're like, okay, we've been talking about this forever. Like Like we get it. Just move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like that can't be the issue anymore because everyone's so aware that that problem exists. So obviously like it can't be the problem anymore. And so it's interesting to like see how everyone still talks about it as if, no, this is still a thing because it is like the institutions are still there and they're the ones that are upholding the sexism and the problems that are continuing mm-hmm. yeah i love that yeah i just thought it was really cool how she did that i think it adds a lot of context and so much research yes and that's what i was gonna say that like i think such a benefit is like i feel like a lot of times when you bring up feminism to people who are not or like you bring up gender issues or feelings of inequality with people who are not personally affected by it really like all i've been able to combat like any counterpoints that they would have is personal anecdotes you know and sometimes like the feedback i get is like okay well a personal anecdote like that's not enough to prove that there's a problem and Mm. even when you point out like no like but every woman i know has an anecdote similar to this like it's still not enough to convince people and so what i love that she did is not only did she provide anecdote after anecdote she also provided like charts and statistics Mm -hmm. and like just so many actual tangible research that can back up what she's saying and she dissects that all in a very like real statistical way and I think that like she knew she had to do that in order to prove her point and I think that's like that's why this book is so effective and so cool agreed there was like a couple of ideas I found really interesting they're kind of at the beginning yes one was that I think we talked about this in our like weaving women like textile episode about how women were pushed into the textile industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in an interview she did, she said it was still pushed. The interview artist in the 1960s was pushed into fashion design and they really, really wanted all of the women to pursue textile and fashion design. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so interesting considering that like the top money making fashion design labels are still all by men oh yeah good point like michael kors gucci they're all men yeah they're all men and then if you think about that with like every art institution like we talk about and even how you know george baselet's mentioned Mm -hmm. the majority of the students are female but then in the industry itself the majority of the professionals in the highest positions of power are all men yeah well Going along with that, she brings up to photography, like photography is an example of an art medium that actually 
women have found a lot of success in. And what I think is so interesting about that is she points out that it's like any new art medium, like, you know, even like mixed media, photography, textile designs, it's either even or women are actually making more. And she like points out though, like every other art medium that like is backed up by the institution or whatever it is, but you know, like or has like a rich long history. Those are the things that still have with like maintain that fact that men are making more so it's like it's obviously not like women are not creative it's just that they've been forced to be almost more creative and be more innovative to make a difference because in the traditional ways of making art they just weren't accepted and they weren't able to make as much money as their male counterparts agreed and it kind of creates like this weird problem (laughs) where like it's creates divisions within the arts of different things that are seen as like a masculine form of art versus like a feminine form of art yeah Mm -hmm. so like architecture and sculpture are masculine and painting is often still seen as masculine but then like watercolors and yeah pottery are more feminine it's so weird the things that like we've decided are gendered you know (laughs) No, agreed. Have you seen, sorry, this, this is random. Have you seen those TikTok videos where people like assign genders to random objects and like everyone just agrees? You know what? I actually haven't, but I, I'm surprised that I haven't. Yeah, like they'll hold up a random object, like glasses, and they'll be like, this is a boy. Yeah, I was, I was about to say like glasses are absolutely a boy. Yep. <laughs> but why? I don't know. <laughs> but if it's like those horn-rimmed glasses with like jewels on it then it's a girl it's a girl yep (laughs) yeah so it's just weird like we assign genders to things and like I don't think that that's normal or do we just do that from a young age when you decide what gender your stuffed animals are I I I have no idea (laughs) I don't know that's really now I want to like find one of those TikToks so if you ever ever pulls up on your for you page please send it I've only seen like one or two but it just made me think of that where it's like we've assigned genders to different areas of the arts even though like I think it's culturally seen now as a thing that men don't pursue art as much because Mm -hmm. it's not considered as masculine to be an artist yeah well So in the book, in like the very first chapter, she has like this word map. Is that what it's called? Like one of those like word charts that like shows what words are like frequently used, you know, depending on their size. Anyways, so Mm -hmm. she points out she created one that are used words used to describe female and the feminine and female artists and then does another one with words that were used to describe men and masculine arts and so for the feminine one there there are like good words such as like kick ass or tang there i was trying to find more good ones Man, but there's it. not tough <laughs> empathetic could be seen as good connected yes that's, a good one. that's true but there's also invisible shy sensitivity tentative crazy passive difficult hesitant delicate muse interesting unconfident domestic supportive Uh. quiet even mad which is interesting but with men i mean there's a couple bad ones like selfish crazy arrogant but there's also genius forcefulness competitive bravada ritual sensationalist yes granted there is also killing violence and egotistic so like but i mean but it's but it's interesting though if like still though like we are still separating women and um men like artists and we are using such very gendered words 
to describe them with like men's worst traits and women's worst traits yeah no even that reminds me of an interview from the book too where she was talking to a woman about how she succeeded within her college and she mentioned like oh I felt like I had to become more dominant and confident yeah which are things we associate with men Men. Mm -hmm. and so it's a lot of this idea that in order to become a good artist women have to masculine yeah themselves what's the right word for that (laughs) i know what you mean though yeah like they have to become more manly in order to succeed in this field Mm -hmm. and i think it was like camille claudel that someone said like oh she sculpts like a man as good as a man Mm -hmm. yeah where it's like oh like you can only be good at it if you're doing it the way that we perceive a man would yes one thing that i thought was crazy is she brings up how the use of a signature can devalue a woman's artwork and what they found is so i'm just going to read this part she says when one examines the variables of signed work versus unsigned work the tornado clearly demonstrates that when work by men is signed it goes up in value conversely when work by women is signed it goes down in value which Mm -hmm. is insane and she provides like charts where it's so significant the difference of like I said like it goes up if it's signed it's just it's insane it's insane and yet people are like why do so many women go under pseudonyms or anonymously well yeah that's what so um, I'm gonna read this other thing too it said in recent correspondence with a well-known British American-based painter again anonymous she lamented that there are people who love my paintings at first sight but when they realize they are by a woman they do not want them anymore which is insane and then judy chicago also notes her observations that some women artists sign their first name only with a degendering first initial and she also pointed out that there's a lot of parallels with this in literature like Mm -hmm. even like you know charlotte and emily bronte harper lee jk rowling even like even more recently Mm -hmm. you know apparently she was advised to do that so that it would be anonymous as to what you know her gender was which is insane yeah, it's ridiculous. But like, you would never suggest that to a man. Yeah. Like, oh, use your first initial so that people don't, don't know, know it was written by are. a man. Uh-huh. Like, think of Nicholas Sparks. He doesn't go by N, N Sparks. Sparks just because he writes romance. True. <laughs> no it's one has an issue with that. Interesting. Yeah. So it. I just think she pours a lot of good information onto this point where it's like it hasn't. The problem is not solved. Yes. <laughs> it hasn't gone away. It's getting slightly better in some ways, but in other ways, it's just as bad as it's always been. And like, why does it continue to be this concept that like women can't succeed in the art world? Women can't paint. Yes. And I actually, I, let me break down what the chapters are. Oh, yeah. So introduction is women can't paint. Chapter one is masculinities and femininities in painting the new androgynous aesthetics in contemporary art. Number two is the price of being a woman artist, dollars, drams, pounds, and euros, because she doesn't just like make this just for the United States. Like she talks about Mm -hmm. it throughout the entire world. Yeah, she is British, I believe, too. So, yes. The chapter three is the museum exposed gendered visibilities and essentialist aesthetics through equality for gender parity and art prizes. Only men are capable of aesthetic greatness, which she breaks down a variety of like very prestigious art awards and then points out the percentage of those awards given to men versus women, which is dismal. The importance of wearing the right old 
art school tie, networking gender, and painting values. Uh, number six, sexism and ageism in visual art values, but men are allowed to be old and ugly. And then number seven is smashing the glass ceiling of women's arts, manifestos for equality that could actually work. And then her conclusion is baselets folly, women can paint. Can so don't worry, guys. After all of this research, she concluded that actually contrary to that wonderful man women can paint (laughs) and it's really cool too because at the end like the appendix is really long but it's because she puts all of the graphs all of the figures and facts that she had throughout the book in Mm -hmm. again and then sources every single thing that she referenced it's very well researched which goes back to the point i feel like it's so annoying that she has to do that because she probably just knew that any claim she made that yeah. someone would try and battle it. And so she was like, no, 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 no. I have charts, I have sources, <laughs> and I can annotate every single one, and I will. And she did. Yeah, and she totally did. And I love, too, she references Linda Nochlin, of course, yes. multiple times. We read that book, as well as another art feminist author that I hadn't heard of, but apparently she's done quite a lot of writing. I'm trying to find her name. Oh, it was like Pollock, but not the artist. Griselda Pollock. So that also made me intrigued on reading more about Griselda Pollock and her writings I know. on femininity and art. One last thing that I want to talk about is she, in the chapter three where she talks about the museum exposed, she talks a lot about kind of the hypocrisy of museums doing this, like, I'm just going to read this. In the Mm -hmm. UK's press, we read female artists are stars of the show in a bid to inspire girls. Women rule the roost in Tate's modern approach. The world goes pop, finally gives female artists their due. And she talks about all these different, you know, ways that museums around the world have like tried to do their part or at least put on a front that they're doing a part. But then she mentioned this in Germany in 2017, all female winners of a major prize hosted by National Gallery of the Stalic Museum and Fronder. Okay, German. Anyways, but they complained <laughs> that the prize organizers had emphasized their gender over the content of their artwork, accusing the museums of a self-congratulatory use of diversity as a public relations tool, stating they had focused on gender and diversity in public talks and in press releases, despite the museum collections containing mainly male work. So it's kind of like this way that maybe in the art world, they're like, oh, we're aware of the issue and we're trying to combat it. But then in actuality, it's more of like a PR move for them, because if you actually look at what's inside the museums, it doesn't actually hold up to what they're claiming to be this new value, you know, that they're trying to uphold. And when they do events like this, it's not actually about the artwork, which I mean, I don't think any woman artist wants their gender to be recognized more than their actual artwork, right? You just want it to be viewed as equal or not to have to deal with, you know, the fact that statistically women art sells so much less than men. And so I just thought it was funny just her pointing out that hypocrisy of like, you know, these institutions love to put on this front that they are so progressive and so trying to fix this problem when in reality they're not, or it's much more of a PR move than it actually is genuine. Yeah, no, I agree. I also thought it was really cool with that kind of how gender's changing in like our progressive society. Mm -hmm. She also brought up the fact that like, even though gender is becoming more of a nuanced thing, it doesn't take away the issue and that sometimes like saying oh well like 
art doesn't focus on the gender and it doesn't have anything to do with the gender can Mm -hmm. glaze over the issues that are still there. So I thought that that was a really good point that she made at the beginning, kind of about the different ideas of feminine and masculine and how that's changing. Yeah. But how it doesn't change the fact that like even men who paint more feminine art are still (laughs) making more money. Yes. (laughs) And have historically. It's very good. So much information. Like we didn't even... We we touched this yeah we touched the surface (laughs) of what is in there. So if you want more stats and more reasons to support your own feminism and your own anger about the art world, it's a wonderful resource. I would recommend. Highly highly recommend. I honestly think it could be a textbook. I was just gonna say like (laughs) the way it reads, I was like I feel like this is like a signed reading in a college classroom, and it should and could be absolutely. Yeah, totally. Cause yes. It it would be nice to see a lot more like college classes pay a little bit more attention to the issue. I agree. Rather than just glazing over it like everyone else does. And you would know <laughs> you got an art degree. Yeah, I did. And I'll tell you, it was hard to find women <laughs> in any aspect of it, mm-hmm. even in graphic design, which is very modern. So... But yeah, glad that there's people out there fighting the good fight, writing incredibly well-researched books. Incredibly. But yeah, so again, the name of it is just Women Can't Paint. The cover is really pretty, too, by the way. Yeah, it is. And it's by Helen Gorl, and I would absolutely recommend it. Add it to your bookshelf, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's great. And like a few announcements with our book episodes. We are now going to be doing them every other month. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we said this. Anyway, we're doing it every other month just to give us a little bit more time to actually dive into the book and read it. We're still planning on having a bonus episode every month, but every other month it's going to be a book episode and every other month it's going to be an interview. Yes. Probably. And for the next two months, our book is actually about fashion design. And I'm very excited to learn more. And if any of you are looking for a great coffee table book, this would be a beautiful one to pick. It is The Women Who Revolutionized Fashion, 250 Years of Design by Petra Slinkard, Madeline Lan Morgan, Paula Richter, and Rachel Syme. A lot of people contributed to it, but they go over like hidden figures from First Lady Mary Todd Lincoln, seamstress to Elsa... Shiropoli and Chromat and then obviously a bunch of more modern ones like Coco Chanel. I don't know a lot of fashion people, but I'm excited to learn about them. It is very cool. <laughs> yeah, and there's tons of pictures. It's a little bit bigger of a formatted book, um, but not super thick. So I think it's a great one if you're looking for like a beautiful coffee table book that's also feminist. Yes. Which, best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> so yeah, you can read that along with us if you want to, or just tune in for the episode. That'll be in April. So thanks for tuning in to this month's book episode. We'll be back, of course, next week with our regularly scheduled episode on Monday with a new forgotten female artist. Yes. Excited to talk about this one. It's going to be really relevant to what's going on in the world, so excited to research it and talk about it and celebrate some art in the midst of all this craziness <laughs> so i like it yes yeah be sure to tune in we're here every monday and we love ratings and reviews on whatever platform you're listening on so feel free to give us five stars and we'll talk at you again soon <laughs> bye, bye.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.